Have you ever wondered how it will feel like waiting for a verdict in your own trial? If you've experienced it personally and you're willing, you can share that with me later. I found an article in which someone shared his feelings while awaiting his verdict. It is from Forbes magazine. A former portfolio manager was offered probation by prosecutors to plead guilty to charges related to insider trading. He turned it down, so the case went to trial. He told a reporter, at the conclusion of our defense, I felt like I had a 75% chance of acquittal, but that quickly faded after closing arguments. He said he closely watched the jury's behavior as the prosecution gave its closing argument that he was guilty of conspiracy and insider trading. The jury was listening intently and took notes as the prosecutor presented a summary of its case. When his attorney was giving his closing remarks, the jury just sat back in their chairs, crossed their arms, and stopped writing. He said it felt as if a proctor had come in and told them to put their pencils down. He told a reporter, I knew then that they were looking for a reason to convict and this was not going to end well for me. The jury deliberations went on for eight days. According to the reporter, this is considered a long time for an insider trading trial. Now, as in, in a trial, all of those involved in the case had to stay near the courthouse so that they could assemble, assemble on a moment's notice. The accused and his counsel went between an empty courtroom, the hall outside of the courtroom, and the cafeteria. He told the reporter, as the first week was moving to an end, I just prayed for the weekend so that I could spend it with my kids. The second week of the trial, the jurors passed a note to the judge. It read, we would like a magnifying glass so that we can look at his trading records. The accused believed that that was good news because it meant that a jury was digging into the details of the case and that would almost certainly lead to his acquittal. However, before a magnifying glass could be located, he heard from his lawyer that a verdict had been reached. The accused said, imagine the most frightened you have been in your life and your moment of great despair and multiply that by five. That's how I felt for jury selection. Then up it again when opening statements start the trial. Then up it again when you hear there is a verdict. He told the reporter, the jury would not even look in my direction as they filed in but I still had hope. As he waited for the verdict, he said he thought to himself, you live and die with every note from the jury because you don't know if that will be the one that says we have reached a verdict and ends your temporary stay of execution. The verdict was read, guilty. He said, while I did not agree with the jury, I knew my life had just changed forever. It was surreal. My family, friends, and lawyers were all in disbelief. And then I look over 
and there are tears in my parents' eyes, tears in my wife's eyes. As I left the defense table and headed out, I remember feeling just a brutal mix of heartbreak, resignation, and disgust. The portfolio manager didn't feel he was guilty. He was hoping for acquittal, but the jury found him guilty. He was sentenced to 30 months in prison. Now imagine being charged with an offense that is far worse than insider trading, and you know you are in fact guilty as charged. And imagine the trial must go on, and the consequences are such that you will receive more than 30 months in prison. No death sentence is allowed, so you know you are going to be in prison for the rest of your life. But that hasn't happened yet. You must face the judge and jury. Now imagine something far worse than an ordinary jury. You are going to have to face God someday to answer charges against you. And it's just you and him. No jury of your peers. You know you are definitely guilty about every single charge that will be read against you. Every one of those charges carries a life sentence. You may say you are guilty with explanation. You have an excuse. But that is not allowed. It is overruled. You've seen the pictures, the depictions of what is going to happen, even if you are not sure they capture the true reality of what will happen when Judgment Day comes. Whatever depictions you've seen, the reality, the sentence, is going to be worse than that. You are in God's courtroom. He allows you to make your final plea. He hears you. And after you are done, there is a shuffling of papers. He is about to rule. Your heart is pounding in your chest. And then you remember. As soon as you remember, he enters the room. He says, Your Honor, I'm the court-appointed attorney for him. And he continues, Remember, you sent me down to earth for someone like him. You said you'd charge me with what he is convicted for if he believed in him. And now I can assure you, he acknowledged everything he has done against your commandments. I stretched out my hands to him and I said, give them to me. And he did. And I carried them with me to my cross and left them there. Because of that, he deserves to live forever in peace and joy and in your presence. Then God will say at that very moment, I do indeed remember, and I keep my promises. And he will say to you, you are free. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. Live free with me forever. What feeling does that give? It gives you a feeling of peace and joy. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It may not always feel that way to you. You may have periods in your life where everything is going great and you feel God's love for you. You feel the peace. But other times, not so much. The feelings you have do not change what God has done and said to you and about you. He has rescued you. He has declared you righteous. What God has said about you, his child, is what counts. You have peace with God. 
That peace you have with God has been won for you by Jesus Christ alone and no one else. He has given it to you freely without any merit whatsoever on your part. You gain access to that peace by faith, which to be clear is still not your work, but God's work. You have gained access into God's grace. This grace is God's undeserved kindness and favor, free for us, but at Christ's expense. Paul says further that we stand in his grace. It is a sheltered place and protected state for us. It is our grounds for boasting. God wants us to make much of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus because it is not a small thing. He has rescued us from spending even one second of eternity paying the price for what we have done against his clear commandments. Now, ordinary boasting and being prideful is not allowed. But boasting about what the Lord has done for us is greatly encouraged. We are people standing in grace and people boasting in hope. Boasting in hope. It is not a hope that something good might happen, but a certainty that it will happen. We wait eagerly for the adoption of our bodies, our final redemption. As God's people, we are standing in grace and boasting in hope. We are simply saying and believing what God has said and done for us. Now, even though we are standing in grace and boasting in hope, we acknowledge that we still face many problems because we live in this world that is still not perfect yet. Paul mentions suffering. Maybe there are some Christians out there who have never faced any kind of suffering in their lives. If there are, I just haven't met them. But if there are, thanks be to God for them. They can readily and easily give thanks and praise God for his special measure of kindness and protection for them. They can stand in grace and boast in hope. However, the vast majority of Christians have faced or are facing one kind of suffering or another in their lives. Suffering may come to you simply because your loved ones are suffering. But suffering produces perseverance. How? Perseverance means you stay standing where you are in the midst of the suffering that seeks to push you in various other directions, trying to knock you down and knock out your faith. Because God sustains your faith, suffering can produce perseverance in you. Maybe when suffering comes your way, remember whose you are and stay standing in grace and continue boasting in hope. The certainty that God will finally fulfill all his promises, Jesus will come again, all will be well. Perseverance produces character. And character is like testing of precious metal by refining them with fire. God allows these processes of growing and maturing your faith. It takes you back to the certainty of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, standing in grace, boasting in hope. Hope enables us to continue to continue boasting even in the midst of suffering. One reason is because hope looks ahead to the ultimate enjoyment of the glory of God. We are able to boast about God's love for us in the midst of the pressures of this life. Hope 
does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love being poured out into us through the Holy Spirit reminds us of holy baptism, which was administered by Pastor Steve for Giselle this morning. He joins God's people who are standing in grace and boasting in hope. We always need God's love, and he will continue to pour it into our hearts in abundance because his love for us is inexhaustible. For each and every one of us here, he began to pour out his love for us, not since we've known him, but before we knew him. So Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, while we were still deathly ill, while we did not know God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is this? It is God's amazing love. And he alone will do such a thing, not just for one person or two or just for babies, but for young and old, for female, for males, for all. Since we have now been made righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Shuffling of papers. The verdict is in. Hear the verdict. Not guilty. We have been declared righteous now, and we will be saved from the wrath that is coming in the future. That is the judgment. Paul is saying, that God has done the more difficult thing of Christ dying for us. We have been reconciled to God. Therefore, saving from his wrath is easy for him. It is done. He will unveil it at the right time. Meanwhile, we can remain standing in grace and boasting in hope until Christ comes again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.